cultural exchange. They show you their culture and you show them theirs. It's for free in a sense that there is no money involved, but there is a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of heart, you know? And I think that's what should matter. I mean, it's money is not the only currency we can exchange with people. So it's also good because you learn a lot, you get this amazing experience. And I would say it's even more amazing than what some tours could provide. Hello, Ruth. How are you? I'm really good, really good. And you? I'm also good. I'm so excited for today's episode because this is our first episode of Where the F Am I Heading? where our guest is someone that we don't know personally. Yeah, like we have no clue about who she is, Yeah, really. So we ended up stalking her account and we found yep. so interesting posts and that's why we're so excited to have her in our show. And she's somewhat related to the things that we love, yeah. which is traveling yes. and budget. Yes. Not spending money while traveling. Yes, that's right. So without further ado... Let's call on Kristen of Kristen Kaladgaren, also known as Ten. Hi, Ten. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Irene. How are you both? We're good. And you? I'm amazing. I'm so glad to be on your show and I'm so glad to finally meet you guys. Yes, that's right. And you know what? What's interesting is that this is our first time to really talk to one another and the conversation, the vibe in it is so positive. So before we go to the main conversation or the main topics, let's know 10 more, you know, we want to know who is 10. Okay, so if I were to describe myself in three words, it's traveler, artist, and revolutionary. So traveler, because I love traveling, I've been on the road for nearly four years now. I'm on a trip to walk and hitchhike the world as a solo female traveler with a third world passport. So I will, I think, discuss this a bit more further later in our conversation. Second word is artist, because I love the arts. I'm a writer, I'm a painter, I paint murals as I travel as well. I love poetry, I love sculpture too, so I'm really into the arts. I was a theater kid back then, so I'm a traveling artist. Sometimes I do some street performances. Revolutionary, because my goals for my travel is not only to accomplish this walking and hitchhiking trip, but in the long run, I would like to be an active part of a movement to make travel accessible, not only for the privileged few, but also from developing nations and for people of all ages, races, ethnicities, religions, and gender and sexuality. So because travel is such an eye-opening experience, I'd like to be an active part of this revolution that will soon have accessible borders for all and soon have travel as something that anybody can do and not just people with privilege can. So these are just three words. And of course, because I'm really active on travel and social causes. So I mix travel with activism because I believe that travel is not a bubble. It's a mirror of the realities of the world around us. So these are the three words that I use to describe myself. Outside of those three words, I'm a 24-year-old Filipina. My hometown is in Agoo, La Union. And I was in the Philippines like for, I think, 20 years. I traveled the Philippines before I went abroad. I'm very proud of my culture and heritage. My favorite Filipino food 
is sinigang. <laughs> and my hobbies also include reading. I also like to play sports. I love hiking. I love recreational sports. And currently, I'm in Ukraine as a volunteer teacher in an alternative institution with outdoor education. Wow. Wow. That's a lot of words. Um, the only thing I can hear is a voice, a strong voice of a strong lady yeah. Yeah. with a lot of ambition and working towards yeah. it though. So it's really amazing to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, and, and we are smiling and every time you say something amazing, we're like, wow, wow. Because this is also our first time to hear that, guys. The same, <laughs> the same as you. So It's really amazing hearing that from someone so young, so involved and enjoying life out there. So that's really amazing. And you mentioned you are a volunteer teacher, right? Is that what you do for a living? Uh, no, I have like different experiences for each country. So for the pandemic, I decided to be a responsible traveler and to have like a home base uh, as I'm not yet vaccinated. And I don't want to be like a carrier because walking and hitchhiking I stay a lot with local people. I meet a lot of local people. So I come across people every day and I don't know if one of them carries a virus or not. So as long as the regulations are not safe, it's important to be responsible when it comes to traveling. So I decided to kind of base myself here first. And because I found this school with a really nice principles when it comes to learning, believes in individualized learning, It believes that every child has their own interest and must pursue their own learning path. It encourages them to be a global citizen. And best of all, every Friday, we have outdoor Fridays. So we go to caves, forests, we go to rivers because we teach them there. We immerse in the language for them. They grow up bilingual. They learn how to speak Ukrainian and English. So it's a really nice um, opportunity to volunteer for. It's a nice place to stay in. And I live in this part of Ukraine where everything is very nationalistic and traditional. So I really like being here. And that's why I chose Ukraine for the time being. That's amazing. That's really amazing. It's like when you say it, it felt like it's a story out of a book. Something that not all travelers experience that. And she sounded like she's my maybe 70 years old with a lot of experience. Right, right. It's a compliment. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. The gray hearts will start coming soon. Like they will No, start- not the look, the the sound, the the words coming out from your mouth. It has nothing to do with the way you look. <laughs> It's just the, the wisdom. Thank you. If you really meet me in like real life, I look like some, you know, hooligan <laughs> of the street. <laughs> Normal, but in truth, I'm just really like a like, you know normal person, like the girl who sits at the back of the class, uh, the rowdy one, the class clown, some <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> and it seems that you are someone fun to be with on the road. So that's really great. So you said that in every country you have different experiences. How did you come up with an idea of traveling that way? Because that's not the usual route, right? Mm -hmm. So I came up with that idea because I started out as a regular traveler, like somebody who's ticking off the nice places in the bucket lists and going to all these beautiful sites that you see off Instagram. But I realized that I wasn't really learning about the country. And as somebody, I think we all have different travel styles. I mean, don't you agree, guys? Like right. We have different travel styles. Some people go to countries just to have the like nice photos. Some people go there for a two-week relaxation. And for me, 
I found like happiness. I found my travel style when I immerse in different cultures, when I get to know more about its people, because you can see this lake in Ukraine and it will look like some other lake in Kazakhstan. You can see this mountain in Kyrgyzstan and it will look the same as a mountain in Tajikistan, but the same people you can never see twice. And I decided that this was going to be the style I would be in, this cultural immersion. And being immersed and having different experiences in each country allows you to also be a different person in each country. It also allows you to take a peek at a particular aspect in culture of each country that you go to. So for example, in Tibet, China, I was in um, a Buddhist monastery. I lived there for two weeks. I was a Tibetan cowgirl. I learned how to herd yaks in the mountains of Tibet at 3,000 meters above sea level. In Kyrgyzstan, I was also a volunteer teacher. I was based in Osh, a more traditional part of the country near the nomads in the mountains. I was there. I was also living among nomads. What else? Um, in Tajikistan, I was just free riding everywhere. In Thailand, I lived with mostly like people who are artists so I was more of like an artist there I was also an artist in Malaysia I lived in Penang for one month to be able to be an artist I was painting murals in exchange for accommodation I was painting murals because it was my passion as well and I was building my portfolio and what else Uh, this kind of experience so I was also planting coffee in Indonesia I was harvesting tea for some time in Malaysia these different experiences also allow you to see into different sectors of society it allows you to go out of your bubble and step out of your ivory tower as a traveler it allows you to see what travel guides do not tell you what these travel blogs do not tell you and it allows you to gain a deeper understanding of what the country truly is and as i would say it's like real and raw travel right actually when you were talking about it you would realize that those experiences are some of the dreams of those in the corporate world i want to take a vacation so that i can do this raw kind of traveling or i want to retire early so that i can live with the nomads the real nomads not the digital nomads but the real nomad but for you at your age you were able to experience all of that and i want to know when did you realize you want that kind of traveling did that start early on or because of an experience walk us through that experience when you decided to follow this path? So I was in university. I was in the top university of the Philippines. For me, it was a lot of pressure because I was the first member of the family to get into that university. And it's a lot of pride, as you guys know, that if you get into UP, you have to be like, it's like, wow, it's kind of like Harvard of the Philippines. <laughs> like um, you get all these banners in your home. So there was a lot of pressure riding on me. And I envisioned myself as somebody who was working for the press, for the media, and somebody who was also going to law school. So I was supposed to go to law school before I traveled. And towards the last few years of my journalism days as a campus journalist, as an aspiring lawyer, I just 
realized that I was not happy with it. Like I didn't envision myself in a routine. I hated routine, absolutely. I wasn't happy attending my classes. I was I was depressed. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And I didn't have the means to get myself out of that hole. So I always tell myself that there's like this hole I was in before. And it was really dark times. I tried to kill myself multiple times. I didn't find the purpose of leaving. And I know that for a lot of people, I it was a good like future, you know, like for some people, it was like I had job offer from previous internships and stuff. And then I had also a like comfortable flat to live in with my family, surrounded by my friends. And after I graduated, I just thought that, hey, I'm going to take one month of travel, just Cambodia, because my mom was there before she worked there before. And I was thinking, yeah, it was a good place to go where my mom went. And when I was in Cambodia, I kind of realized that this was the true call. And I was really not prepared for it. I had no remote job yet. I didn't know how to sustain myself in the road. But that was the moment where it kind of clicked that I knew I wasn't coming back. Actually, it was already manifesting right before I got on that one plane that I took from Philippines to Cambodia. I was not coming back I was thinking about that like I I brought a lot of things with me and it was not for like a one month trip at all it was just like something that would spring into this nearly four years of travel already and I just realized that you know some people have different paths in life your path could be to have a successful career your path could be a white picket fence mm-hmm. life uh, your path could be a motherhood because you really want to have kids your path could be mm-hmm. like a volunteer for NGOs and stuff and some people they were just born to travel I think some people's path or some people's call is just the road and for me I realized that it was mine and that every moment in my life it has led to this. Every moment that I have, it's led to this opportunity because I wasn't really rooted. I wasn't happy back home. And I realized that that home is not supposed to be where you're from or where you're going. You know, it's like a state of mind. It's who you are. And I know it sounds cheesy, but I think that's where it clicked. Like, this is where I'm home and I will be here for quite some time. Wow. I'm speechless hearing those experiences of yours. I thought I thought I had the rough past, but when you almost killed yourself and the good thing is when you had a taste of travel, that gave you a reason to keep forward. Am I right? Yeah, because through travel, I found so many I should probably like tell this story um, I was hitchhiking in Myanmar and in Myanmar I got adopted by this village um, I was actually with uh, I found like somebody on the road and we were traveling together so I found a travel buddy and we were adopted by this village and I remember there was a lake in that village and it was a really beautiful sunset and the kids from that village he called the kids in the village my travel buddy and they were like running towards the lake and we were all splashing each other in that lake near that village and we were all watching the sunset i had my ukulele and i was playing music from thailand from cambodia from the philippines and it was really really nice and i remember two kids uh, there were two girls and they were telling me like salamat po ate and i didn't teach them that i didn't teach them so apparently they were watching these filipino teleseries and i was really surprised and
then the fishermen of this village, they cooked fish for us because as guests, they made us borrow the longi. It's the skirt in Myanmar, traditional skirt. They had music, we had some drinks, and as the sunset was going down, I told, I was hugging my travel buddy and I was telling him, like, is it possible to be this happy? I hadn't known that happiness. I wasn't introduced to that happiness before back home. I only felt that happiness where I had everything, where I felt like I had everything in my life when I was on the road. So it was a really big thing for me. It was like a wake up call for me that, okay, this is where I'm happy and this is where I'm heading. This is where I'll stay. So that was it. Wow, I'm having goosebumps to be honest right now. I'm, I'm really glad you find your happiness because if not because of that to be honest there there's a chance that you're not here right now and it, I'm really glad but uh, let's move to the next question because you know I might cry the more you talk about I don't really cry so but be, before we move to the question it was a beautiful story and if we're gonna look at it that kind of experience that kind of state of emotion is what people is chasing regardless of what they want to do in life that's the kind of level of happiness that everyone's looking for and that's really important we're not saying you can only find that in travel it just so happened that when you have this raw experience in life and you let your guards down and really experience and feel be present in that moment you will be able to you know to to have that kind of happiness that kind of ecstasy And it's just a matter of really making yourself present because sometimes the reason why we cannot have that experience is because we are so guarded or we are not seeing the things that we have in front of us. Or most of the time, it's more like we were trained to stay where we are, that people or the, the elder people that was in our life, I would say was because like you had to get out of that. You know, mm-hmm. they can't shelter you forever. Like yep. stay in the village. You'd be happy in the village. You earn money somewhere and they still come back to the village. And that's where you will be happy. But yep. in reality, we all have our own path, like what yep. she said earlier, which I yep. totally agree because I am in the same path that I have no intention of going back where I came from. Not because I don't like it. It's just because that place that they call home is not my home anymore. I don't feel yep. safe in that home. I feel safe away from that. And that's what yep. she feels as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So why am I angry right now? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, no, you're just making a point. But that's true. It's a journey and it's really up to us how to find that regardless where that is. So let's go on to your next question, Irene. All right. So my question is, how do you decide where to go? Do you plan it or do you just go where your fit take you? Basically, I first started out as something like that. So I'm a Libra. I don't know if any of our audience are into astrology, but I'm not. But I know that Libras are pretty indecisive. So I'm really bad. Are you a Libra too? Yes. Oh, team Libras. Okay, so fellow Libras, you know what it's up. I used to not know where I'm going. I decided we toss coin, withdraw lots. I had that principle before that I would hit the road, no maps, 
nothing. I would hitchhike a vehicle and I would go where that vehicle goes. And it has led me to a lot of beautiful experiences in this trip. So it's in Myanmar, it has led me to this annual mountain tribe festival where, I don't know if you're familiar with this, the Karen tribe, the one with the rings on their necks. They're popular in Thailand, but their native home is in Burma, Myanmar. And I got to see them without a tour, you know, with uh, these tour companies that are actually profiting from them, with these tour companies that are asking them to keep wearing the ring so that they could earn money. So I'm not supporting that. And I thought I would never get to see them, but then I get transported. I got uh, into a truck in a random village and apparently that village hosted this annual mountain tribe. It's not for tourists, it's for them. And I was invited there and I performed there as well. <laughs> like I was part of the community and there were some who could speak English because the village was a mix of religions. They have this mountain like religion. I don't know what sect it is, but it's called Chimbogaya. And then there were some who were some Christians from lowlands and their families like live in the mountains. So they're the ones who spoke in English because they they were given the chance to go to the lowlands and they were acting as my translators and they were like can you play uh, I love you like a love song by Selena Gomez something like that so I ended up playing a rock version of I love you like a love song baby <laughs> in front of them for the parade and it was really nice because I got that by just spontaneously hitchhiking a truck in this Buddhist monastery in Tibet that I mentioned I also got there by hitchhiking a random car and I told him okay I will go where you go and he brought me to this footpath where I trekked a little bit and he said like just follow the way like very mysterious guy so I went I followed the way and I ended up in this monastic village in Tibet that wasn't even on the map so it's really a good thing to also leave it to spontaneity. I never plan any of my travels. But now as a content creator, um, as somebody who's trying to grow her blog, I'm trying to balance it. I have some content ideas for a particular country that I'm going to. I want to highlight some parts of the culture that are not spontaneous. So I'm trying to still maintain this level of spontaneity while at the same time trying to also be a professional content creator and for me really I really like to have these spontaneous hitchhikes a lot I really love them because through them I really get to see what the people are proud of like hey there is these hot springs that I want to show you these waterfalls that I want to show you and hey it might not be the most Instagrammable place it might not be like the top of the destinations in this country but this is what they're proud of this is where their stories are this is where they probably grew up they jumped on these waterfalls like thousands of times they bathed in this river like when they were kids or this kind of things they were at this beach camping with their families or they were hiking this mountain to see some crocuses like what happened with me recently here in Ukraine I was hunting for crocuses I was supposed to go to another mountain but then a family invited me to hike with them to another mountain and I got to see an even more beautiful view so these kinds of things I like locals to show me where the country is because I believe that more than the travelers who go here they're the experts they're the true experts of travel if they show you something it means they're proud of it they love it they're happy with it and more than seeing a beautiful thing you have a story so this is why I choose 
to travel like this. <laughs> Reach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of information in there that we will talk about as we move along. So a lot would say that it's dangerous to travel solo, especially for women, right? What are the challenges and struggle you've experienced as a solo female traveler, especially hitchhiking? So basically, I would tell that first, before anybody tries to attempt this kind of trip, is that there's always a risk. Actually, risk is everywhere. I mean, when you cross the road in your home, you could get hit by a bus anytime in the city, right? When you hike a mountain with a group, you could fall into a ditch. So risk is always present. Some danger always lurks. So it always depends on us whether or not we take that risk. And I'm not encouraging or discouraging anybody because you know your own capabilities right? You know what you're able to do. You know what you want to do. You know things you should be fully informed before doing risky things, before going into any adventure or before even making any decision in your life. So that's the first thing. As adults, I think we can be responsible for ourselves. We can take responsibility for actions and there's no one else to blame or if you get into like trouble with that risk besides your own decisions and besides other factors. So I will get into that. So first, um, I came into this risk calculated. I knew that there was going to be risk as a solo female traveler. I am no stranger to harassments and just a trigger warning for anything, anybody who's listening. I was a victim of attempted rape during one of my hitchhikes. So that was the worst thing that happened to me. And I believe that I was one of the lucky ones because I spent time in a Wi-Fi gym in Thailand. I had basic self-defense training there and I fought back. I was not afraid of my aggressor. Rather, I was angry. And I know that some women have different responses. Some women feel shocked. So besides the risk that, you know, you're, you can take yourself responsible, there are also other risks to blame, which is the patriarchy, which is the fact that women can be treated as objects, can be treated as something that is less to a degree that you don't respect their consent. And that was what happened to me and still continues to happen to me. I was groped by some drivers. Somebody knocked in my tent and asked how much for a kiss or how much for like one night. And it was very offensive. As a Filipina, you also get get this look that for a lot of men you're exotic you are from an island or a country they have not heard about and they want to bang you <laughs> regardless of anything there's a lot of sexism in place there's a lot of oppression towards women as a solo female traveler that you get exposed to but I also want to tell people that 90% of the time the people that you meet on the road are good we have yes we have these douchebags we have these like people, these, I'm sorry for the word, but assholes who have no respect for women. But I have also met people who were raised right. Like I was in this house, I was even drinking and like jamming with them. We were all like, we were all pretty much a little bit wasted. And they allowed me to stay in their house. They were all men, nine men. I was sleeping on the floor in a separate corner. And then they were all sleeping in one corner. Nobody touched me. I was safe the next day. I blacked out while drinking with my thigh neighbors. They brought me home on the motorbike. I woke up, passport, keys, money, everything was there. I wasn't touched. And I got to see them the next day and they asked how I was and they brought me some soup because of my hangover. So I'm just saying to people that yes, there are risks, especially if you are a solo female traveler. Yes, you have to be informed about these risks. You have to be well informed about the places you're going to, especially if there are conflict zones, especially Especially if there are things to watch out for, you have to be well informed. You cannot go blindly into a destination 
but also you have to have faith that humankind are good. I believe that humanity has a dual nature and that we have the ability to pick whether we become good or bad at an instant. And much of humanity still has something to prove, but based on my experience, like much of humanity are actually pretty good. They're kind, they are welcoming. And if we believe so, I think that it's kind of like a boomerang. It goes back to us. Whatever we think, we attract. So if you think that this experience is going to be good, safe, you are going to meet happy locals, welcoming locals, friendly ones, your travel will be safe. I think it will also attract the same things, but that's no excuse to not be careful as well. So you have to make a calculated risk with all these adventures and all these decisions actually in your life, you know? 100%. I agree when you said about really enjoying the experience and not everyone will hurt you. Although, of course, there would be instances that it will go south. It will not be the same way as you planned it. And it's true that even if you're at home or whatnot in your neighborhood you there would be risk so it's just a matter of how you handle it and speaking of that how do you handle or how do you manage the unwanted male attention when you travel so first i would also like to add to this thing that women have been oppressed for so long we've been told to stay at home we've been told to take care of the kids We've been told that our place is in the kitchen. No, uh, this thing that I'm doing and this thing that I think all women should actually be doing is a way of taking back power. You know, solo female traveler types, you know, they were always told like, hey, why don't you find, find a husband? Why don't you just stay at home? I think that it's our right to not be at home. And what if our home is the road? So <laughs> these kinds of things, it's kind of like a protest in itself that you can't do it because you're a woman, but you can, you know, like anything is possible because I'm a woman. And how to fend off this <laughs> unwanted male attention? I think I'm actually still working on some parts of it because sometimes I'm not very firm with it. But usually when I hitchhike, I have a wedding ring with me. I tell them I'm married. I have kids. My husband is waiting for me in the next city. <laughs> I'm going to the nearest city that I'm going to. If I hitchhike with a family, I omit that one because, you know, it's a family and it's already like a unit in itself. If I hitchhike and I'm hosted by a woman, I also omit it because, uh, you know, they're women. So with males, I usually, I have years of experience of hitchhiking and reading local people. I know if people have bad intentions. I know if they're sketchy. And the minute that I feel that something is off, I get off the vehicle, I run away from the house. So I have these things. I have knife, pepper spray with me all the time for self-defense. I'm not afraid of that. I never hitchhike in the evenings. I have two rules when I'm camping. Either everybody knows I'm there or nobody knows I'm there. I stay in a spot that is hidden, but not too hidden. Because if I need help from, let's say, men or animals, aren't they synonyms sometimes? <laughs> Sometimes there's no difference. But yeah, um, if I need help, I could easily run to the village. I could easily go to the village. But at the same time, I'm not detected by the village. So it's, you have to find a camp spot before sun goes down. And also, I have these rules that if a guy is harassing you, to immediately just tell them to mind their own business or F off, you know, <laughs> and to just go with it. Um, And to always, always 
seek help from women. Um, I believe that at the end of the day, like when these type of struggles, every woman knows it. I've never met uh, an adult woman who has not been harassed in her life, has not been catcalled, has not been seen as an object, has not been told to stay at home. So I believe that the answer for this is also to band together as women, you know, to try to uplift each other, to try to help each other. So whenever I'm in danger, I always go to women. Like I always ask because they would understand regardless of language, regardless of age they would understand the perils of our gender so there were some times where for example in indonesia some guy was following me while i was walking like it was the evening like sunset post sunset and i was looking for a place to stay and i was being followed by this guy and i knew i was being followed so i went to this eatery on the street and there was an old lady um, who was manning the eatery and i told her in my broken bahasa (laughs) that somebody was following me and she took me in for the night and their, his, her family became my family in Indonesia. So I called them my mom, my dad, my kaka. And recently I had a call with them. <laughs> it was really nice. So they still remember me after three years. <laughs> and unexpectedly, they helped me to get out of that situation. And they even hosted me, which was really nice of them. So I think, yeah, find people to trust, number one. Number two, be firm. And to also learn how to read people. Like, you would know if it was really sketchy. You would know. And the minute that your gut feeling tells you that it's not a good person, go. Follow that gut feeling. Because your body is telling you something right. And number three is to always have contacts. I always send my live location if I feel at risk to my friends. I have a group of friends who always know this one. And... And to just don't show them that you're afraid because they prey on fear. They're predators of fear. And to just be firm with yourself, to just know that, okay, you might not be able to defend yourself physically, but you need to get yourself out of that situation. And I don't think that this will solve the problem in the long run. I think that we all need to work towards making the world a safer place for the male audiences who are listening. I think that you should also do your part to keep your hands to yourself, ask for consent, and not harass women. Don't be an asshole. (laughs) And to just, um, we have a lot of things to do. We have a lot of things to do to be able to make the world safer for women and to make it accessible for women as well. So it's it goes both ways. Yeah, and like what you mentioned earlier about we all experience catcalling or, you know, kind of unwanted touch. The tip about the wedding ring, it's really, really effective. I told Ruth about it before I think that I told her about me buying a wedding ring because I don't I don't like being disturbed when I'm traveling. I used to travel a lot as well. And I just don't like like when I'm at a place that I just want to chill and then somebody would just come to me and chat because well I'm Asian I'm Filipino so they think because especially when I was in Armenia there's a lot of misconceptions about us Filipinas because well apparently there's a lot of fellow Filipinas that were doing some monkey business there that now the Armenians think oh you're from Philippines so you do this right it's like I'm here not for that I, I, I do have my jobs and stuff like that so no I don't want you to pay me to do something like that so now we have bad image and to do that is like make sure like what you said set boundaries and my, my bitch face sometimes work really really long way like don't afraid tell them to fuck off really because they should fuck off <laughs> like 
I'm not afraid to curse them, actually. Like, I learned like a thousand different Russian curse words for this. <laughs> when I, got- I guess that's, that's the, the beauty of it. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, I'm not afraid. Because, okay, people think that women should be docile. People think that women cannot feel enraged at these situations. Like, I'm not harassing anybody. Like, why should you ruin me? Because I'm a woman. Have you experienced that in Philippines as well? Yeah, like, as a student? Yeah, of course. Like Yeah, there's a lot, right? Construction workers, kind of. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of things to do as well. To be fair, I didn't hitchhike yet in the Philippines. And most of the time that I met people that I had spontaneous stuff with, actually, I've hitchhiked before because before I was traveling with my dog and nobody would accept us in the bus. So we had to go home to Manila and nobody was accepting us. And we ended up hitchhiking this like UV Express for free because they really pitied us because they were also dog lovers and they were like, oh, Oh, poor doggy. And nobody hurt us also. So in the Philippines, I think travel-wise, nobody has actually harmed me because I didn't travel in as much extent and as much extreme traveling as I did here. Um, but during my treks, everybody was respectful. Everybody was offering to help also. But I think city life though, like <laughs> getting groped. I remember in a Jeep when I was going I think, to Antipolo or something, I, was, I fell asleep in the Jeep and somebody was groping my thighs. Like this hand was going under my dress. And the worst part was people were all watching and nobody did anything. They all knew what was happening. And I screamed in the jeepney, you all saw and nobody did anything. And I got off before the guy and I remember stepping on his foot like so hard. Like, I wanted to punch him and but all I could do was step on the foot because I knew that if I punch him, nobody would defend. And that was the sad thing. The worst thing, even worse than being harassed is that when Filipinos like we kind of have this thing where we're complacent about it where we're used to about it we have this mentality where we're used to the things said to us by the system we're like that's how it is you know you get harassed that's how it is you get robbed that's how it is you need to apply for visas that's how it is you have cheap salary from freelancing that's how it is um the thing is we filipinos we are from revolutionary blood you know our ancestors did not say that's how it is we always question we always try to thwart the colonizers from spanish times to Japanese times we had these movements and we still do have them the thing is it's just that we should start to also defend others we also start should start to question the realities around us I think that's the worst thing about being harassed in the Philippines like people would not come to your rescue you know that's the thing so yeah it's everywhere in the world these kinds of things whether you're a woman at home you're a woman going to your workplace harassment happens just because women are viewed as unequal to men because men view that they have rights to our bodies, you know. So it's a systemic thing. It's not just in travel. So I've been to the Eastern European countries. I've been to Asia, obviously, and stayed in Western part of Europe. Based on my experience, it's more rampant in Eastern Europe than in West in terms of catcalling and respect for women. I think here men are generally actually kind of scared of women, that women, women... In, in Western Europe, a way more stronger, especially Scandinavians, they would chew the men off, you know, like, yeah, they're really strong, the movement is strong, respect for women is really strong, so I guess it's kind of sad when the other part of the world is not catching up to that, that we should be somewhat equal. 
same with pay with everything right like also for my time here in Ukraine nobody has ever harassed me which is really quite surprising so I feel generally safe here um Ukrainians are actually very respectful and nobody's like kept calling on the street so far nobody's viewing me as like exotic or something so it's really nice for me to be here and what makes me sad as well is the victim blaming usually they would when something happens that common question would be what are you wearing or what were you doing or it's always about the victim and that's why I want to highlight what you said earlier about really be observant of your surrounding and if you've been traveling long enough like especially solo you will have that you will in acquire that kind of skill to be able to really observe your surrounding and that's really important to know that if this person will do something bad or whatnot it's really being aware of your surroundings your no means no so that's important you have to stand your ground because you will be able to establish that power if you can say no and if that doesn't work being observant will help you because you can easily think of what are you gonna do next and of course Yes, and I agree. We women, we have to look after each other. If someone's in trouble, especially abroad or wherever, and sometimes women will not have that voice to speak up. Being observant would also help you to determine if someone's in trouble. And you have to, you know, speak up. You have to stand up for other women. So let's now move on to the next one because we've been stalking you. <laughs> and we've seen in, your, in the, one of the videos, you mentioned that you don't pay a single cent in your transportation and accommodation because you hitchhike and sleep at people's houses so how do you convince the people to let a stranger hitchhike or sleep in their house follow-up question is how do you learn the language or how do you communicate very interesting also so i don't think i would use the word convince because i only convince people when i hitchhike you know like when you stop a car but with all the stays that i've had with local people i have never asked for somebody to host me never so i i just want to make it clear also for people who are listening and it's a common question I get because it's like how you're begging them you're asking them to be hosted never it's only done through couch surfing but because it's a legit platform but I also don't use couch surfing that much you know I actually don't know, but if I think we would look at it, like the world is actually really open place. It's not as bad as we think it is. It's not as like, never mind. Like, I don't want to go here. It seems dangerous. But really, the people of the world are actually nice. Like, I know that some people are really terrible. And I know that, like I said, humanity has the capability to do both good and bad. But I think we should also start to trust in the good. And I think if you carry an aura with you that is like, hey, I really want to learn your culture. Hey. I'm happy to be here. Hey, I'm just a traveler. I want to be able to know as much as I can about your story. I think people will tell their stories, their tales well. I think they will be able to introduce you to their culture. They would more than willing enough to let you in their homes or in their vehicles even. And it's kind of nice thing to do too, because it's a good question with the language, by the way, it's uh, how I learned the language through immersion. So basically, I don't really enforce people to speak English. I never look for an English speaker. Part of my trip and why I'm doing this is not because I get to do it for free, but because I get a deeper understanding of all these cultures, all these traditions, all these customs that I have not been taught about as a child. I get to pick up nice things from each country, nice behavior 
behaviors from each country. I get to be less afraid of strangers who have who are different from me. I become more accepting. I become more open about different things. People do things differently here and we have to respect it. And I think that's also what why I think the travel should be more accessible. It's because it will reduce the hate towards other people. That it will reduce the xenophobia that some people have. Um, as long as we keep people into their like homes, into their borders. And as long as travel is not accessible, this would not be clearly achieved. So basically it's also part of it. I learned the language because I stay with local people. I talk with local people. For instance, in post-Soviet countries, I learn Russian. I think I've only been taking Russian courses for six months and my level is beyond beginner already because I was immersing with these people. And I kind of has have, have this special skill <laughs> where I listen to a language for a couple of times like I hear conversations for a couple of times I am an auditory learner as well so I get uh, all these words these commonly used words and I deduce what they mean based on the sentences based on their gestures I'm a pretty observant person and I get to learn an entire new language just because of that so I learned the basics of a language as early as two weeks three weeks if it's more difficult sure it's not perfect but it's enough for me to go through so so yeah, I barely use my translator, by the way. The most difficult one was in China. And as for not spending a cent, um, I do spend some money on hitchhiking. So I don't hitchhike usually for free, by the way. I just like to reiterate that I just don't pay in money. So I bring snacks for the drivers, especially if it's a long ride. I bring a lot of snacks. So every country, every truck driver has a different snack. For example, truck drivers in China, they love sunflower seeds. Truck drivers in Central Asia, they also love these things. Whenever I have the opportunity to pay for their lunch, I do it because it's kind of like a thank you gift. For them, I bring energy drinks. They need it so badly. For private vehicles, I also bring some snacks. Like for example, in Uzbekistan, if you're a guest, you must bring bread. So in this part of Central Asia where bread is like seen as like a thank you or like when you're a guest at somebody's house, I bring bread and it's really cheap to do that. So these little things, I sometimes even bring fruit. I forage in the like wilderness and stuff like that. Berries and stuff, mushrooms, I also bring them. So sometimes I exchange and they're really happy about it like it depends like most of the drivers they love energy drinks and cigarettes <laughs> so these are some stuff that I usually carry with me I also carry lighters because sometimes they lose their lighters so yeah it's technically a little bit for free but at the same time it doesn't hurt for you to bring a gift it doesn't hurt that if you're hosted by a local is that you also show them what is adobo, you know? I've brought my Lola's pancit recipe to a lot of houses, my adobo recipe to a lot of houses already. So it's a cultural exchange. They show you their culture and you show them theirs. It's for free in a sense that there is no money involved, but there is a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of heart, you know? And I think that's what should matter. I mean, it's money is not the only currency we can exchange with people. And it's also a way for us to make travel more accessible to those without much money. So it's also good because you learn a lot, you get this amazing experience, and I would say it's even more amazing than what some tours could provide. Yeah, that's right.